probably the best good morning I think I've ever heard from you guys. Must be because you're off turkey and you're not asleep anymore, right? Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Awesome. I love it. You're the faithful few, you know. I'm the, uh, I'm the we call this uh, in, the, in the preaching world, we call uh, me the fill-in preacher, you know, on the Thanksgiving where everybody comes back. So thank you, Tori, so much. I'm grateful to fill in for you today and let you sleep it off. Uh, Tori did inform me that if you have eaten too much food over uh, Thanksgiving, that he's been doing, he'll be doing 5.30 a.m. workouts at his house this week. Apparently, it's, uh, he's doing it for the entire church, and uh, I guess there's scripture memorization and stuff involved. So... Email tmayo at thewellaustin.com if you're interested in signing up for that. Uh, I'm kidding. Please don't email him. He's my boss. He'll just forward it on to me, all right? Uh, 28 days to Christmas. Who's ready? You ready? I love it. Okay. Man, we got some Christmas people in here. You guys were the pre-Thanksgiving, like, we're going to sing and party, aren't you? Uh, it's exciting because today's message, uh, we're wrapping up the book of Malachi, and uh, the book of Malachi is kind of this... It's really this, uh, this, this kind of hinge point where this door closes to one chapter of God's story and it swings wide open to a whole other chapter. And it's a hinge point, and we've been in this book for three uh, weeks. And today's message, if you are type, uh, type A like me and you want to know where we're going and you kind of want an overarching uh, sort of, I guess you could say, um, I don't know, outline for you, uh, the overarching message today is this, is to remember and anticipate that God you know, we as people of God, we, we have a hard time remembering the way God works in our life. And the reality is, is that when we do remember what God's doing, when we remember how God's working in our hearts, when we remember how the Lord has worked in the past, as this sort of door closes to the story of Mal uh, the Old Testament in, uh, in the words of Malachi today, when we remember the way that God has worked, it fuels us forward into the future. The past, the memory of the past is fuel for the future. When we remember the past, it's power in the present, and it's fuel forward in the future. So we got a bunch of Texans in here, right? Everybody, anybody here, anybody here not from Texas? Wow. This is, that's half the place. This is Austin, Texas. Hey, welcome. You're all from California, aren't you? We welcome you. We're glad you're here. I'm glad that we can give you affordable housing here. Uh, let me tell you a story that in Texas history, in Texas history... Uh, it was the Texas Revolution occurred in December of 1835. And if you don't know the story of the Alamo, I'm from San Antonio. I, I'm particularly fond of this story. And it's the true historical account of the Texas revolutionaries who defended the city and the township of San Antonio. The fortress was called the Alamo, and it was guarded by 150 men. When Santa Ana and his Mexican forces came into town on February 26th of that year, and with 32 reinforcements... The Texans held off the enemy until March the 6th when the siege ended in a bloody battle. And the combat in every single Texan was killed, including James Bowie and Davy Crockett. But the courage of the Texans inspired the rest of the resistance for the next six weeks at San Jacinto when the Texans defeated the Mexicans under the awe-inspiring cry of... That was kind of good. Okay, so for those of us who are Texans, what was the cry? Remember the Alamo. Why remember the Alamo? Because the past is what powers people forward in, into the future. It helps people remember. It's, it's power. It is memory and remembering is the ability to empower us forward. And today, as we enter into the last part of Malachi, that's exactly what God is going to call us to do. He's going to call us to remember the way that he's worked, but he's going to call us to look forward by that remembrance. And so today's message really is for, I would say, two kinds of people. One is for the person in here, 
man, maybe you've been doubting God. Maybe you've wondered, where, where is God? I don't know if you've turned on the news lately or if you're like me. I, I try to keep it off, really, honestly. But it's hard to get past the reality of what's happening in our world right now. That only a couple weeks ago, while we were in here in the middle of service, somebody walked into a church and murdered uh, over 20-something people just an hour and a half south of here. And just yesterday, just a few days ago, on our eve of Thanksgiving, there was a bomb that blew up in Egypt, and over 300 people were murdered in, in a mosque. And so you just see this all the time, and you wonder, Lord, what are you doing? God, how are you working? What are you doing? Are you doubting? Is there, a, is there a, an ability today in you to maybe even look inside our own heart, even believer today, and say, God, is there places in me that I'm unsure how you're working? And then the other part and the other person who this message is for today is the person who has been following God, who is faithfully serving, who is walking, looking every single day to the Word of God, looking to God and awaiting the day that He will arrive. The book of Malachi it's a really interesting book, and just I want to give you a quick recap in case you haven't been here or you're new today, you're a guest. But the book of Malachi uh, takes place about 100 years after God's people were in captivity in Babylon. And the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, and when they were conquered, God's people were released. King Cyrus releases the people of God. They go back to Jerusalem, and they have been in Jerusalem where God has told them to rebuild the temple and start rebuilding their lives, start living the life again that God has called them as the people of God. And they're living this life, and they are, are intimidated anticipating all of these prophecies in the Old Testament to come true. They're anticipating that God's going to move, and they're, they're waiting for God to move and for these prophecies to be fulfilled. And when it doesn't happen in their timing, when it doesn't occur when they want it to happen, they begin to have corruption in their hearts. They begin to stray away from God. They begin to, to walk in a way where they start to accuse God even. And so the book of Malachi is actually a book, it's a prophecy where the prophet of Malachi speaks to God's people, and God calls out the people of God about all of their accusations. And there is literally this pattern back and forth, this pattern of accusation. Of there's, a, there's an accusation against God, or there's an accusation from God's people towards God. And then it's the response of God in that. And so I'm going to put up here on the screen, it's, it's kind of hard to see. We realized it was a little small this morning. But if you can see it, there, here are the disputes that we've seen up until this point. And we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 to start today. But dispute one, we see here that God said, I love you. And Israel, the people of God, responded, how do you love me, God? How do you, how do you really love me? Have you maybe ever done that in your life, walked to that place where, where are you, God? Why, how do you really love me? And God gives a response to it. And I'm not going to go through all of this because I want, if you want to listen, you can go back to the podcast and listen to some of it. But number two, he says, you've defiled my temple. And God says, you've been bringing less than what I've asked of you. You've been bringing not your best to me. You've been giving me the least of what you have. And then dispute number three, he, he starts to talk to the men. And he starts talking, uh, he even, by the way, sorry, in dispute two, he even says that the priests are participating. So here's the highest level of leadership in all of Israel. And even the highest level of leadership in all of Israel is participating in these sacrifices. But they're bringing the least of their sacrifice, the worst of their animals that they have. And so from the top to bottom, God shows the corruption of the people's hearts. And dispute number three God says, you've turned against me. And Israel says, how have I turned against you? And he says, you have idolatry, and you're divorcing your wives, and you're marrying other women who are not of my people, and you're starting to worship their gods. And so you've betrayed me in my covenant. Dispute four, Israel says, 
where is this God of justice? Where are you? And God responds to him and says, I'll send my messenger. He will prepare the way, and I will come to bring justice. This is the messianic prophecy of John the Baptist, is it not? That John the Baptist was prophesied that he would come and prepare the way for Jesus to come and speak the good news of the Lord and to bring uh, the gap between God and his people closed. And then, it should say dispute number five there. Uh, there is another, there's another dispute there from God's people. And the, the fifth dispute is a dispute where he says, where the Lord says to the people, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. And turn back to me. And God says to him, uh, you need to turn to me. Start giving back to me what is mine. The money that I've given you, give some of that so we can rebuild the temple. And so God makes these accusations. And then we're going to come to a head here in verse 13 of chapter 3. If you have the word, open it up. We're going to see the sixth dispute here. And we're going to close out the book today and see the call of God to remember. And then to look forward into the fulfillment of what will come. And so here we are, verse 13, chapter 3. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping this charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed, evildoers, not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. And so God says to his people, he says, your words, your words against me are hard. That word hard literally means it's, it's difficult, it's strong. Your words against me are combative. They're, they're insolent, they're audacious, they're brazen. And the people respond to God and say, how? Prove to us. Show us. How are, we, how are we being hard against you? How are we giving you difficult words? What are we saying to you? As if the prior chapters haven't already shown us exactly how God's people were talking to him. And this is God's response. And by the way, I just, do you notice like that defensiveness, that like defensive nature I don't know where you are when God maybe convicts you of something or speaks to you, but I think it's my natural disposition sometimes to go, how? When someone approaches me or someone comes to me and someone says, hey, I see this in you, and immediately I go, how? How is that possible? Prove to me. Show me. Give me details. Well, if you're going to do that with somebody, I feel like you should not do it with God, amen? I mean, if you're not going to, if you're going to try to challenge one person, probably don't challenge God because God is actually going to respond and here's how he responds in verse 14. There's five ways that he says, and we're going to put them up here. But he says back to him in verse 14, you have said it is vain to serve God. You have said what is the profit of keeping this charge or walking in mourning before the Lord of hosts. You have said, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test. And so God's response to his people is he says, I've heard you say, that it's vain to serve God. That word vain there literally means futility. The people have got to this place where they say, man, it's pointless. It's worthless to serve you, God. There is no profit in walking with you. I don't understand. What's the point of me walking with you any further, God? Why would I walk with you anymore? That word profit there, everywhere else it's used in the Hebrew language, it always has to do with some sort of greed, some sort of selfishness, some sort of, about, sort of a transactional idea. This idea that I should get something from coming after you, God, that I've placed my faith in you. I'm listening to your promises, and nothing's happened, Lord. And so they have missed the words of the psalmist who says in Psalm 119, turn my heart to your statues, Lord, and turn me away from selfish gain. There's this idea here that the people, they believe that God owes them something. And what they've lost is their perspective. 
They've lost a picture of who God is. They've lost the vision of this God who has provided for them, who has taken care of them. And they go on to say the arrogant are being blessed. That word arrogant means people who are more about lifting up their own self-importance and rejecting the importance of God. People who are full of themselves and say, I have nothing. I want nothing to do with God. Does this sound familiar to anyone in 2017? I don't, wanna, I don't want you, God. I don't need you. It's all about me. We have pages that are literally devoted to ourself and our own self-importance. I'm guilty of this sometimes. I think there's nothing wrong with social media, but I think it's something to be aware of, right? We go to these, these feeds and we put these things out for people to see who, how, how great are we? But these people were also arrogant. They were boasting about themselves, but pushing and rejecting God. And, they're saying, and, and the people of Israel said, evildoers are prospering. These people are getting away with what they're doing. Where are you, God? What are you doing? And I'm telling you today, my belief that what God is leading us in and understanding as a people of God is we've lost our perspective at times, my friends. We've forgotten. We have a, a sense of a, a little bit of a spiritual amnesia. Can I ask you a question this morning? When is literally the last time that you have practiced the art of remembrance? When is the last time that you sat down and you asked God, forget what's coming up ahead in this coming week. Let me sit and ask you today, God, I want to remember, show me, remind me what you have done in my life. Show me how you've brought me to this point today. If you read the book of Exodus... God's people have always been this way. It is pervasive throughout all of Scripture. God literally pulls his people out of captivity, right? You remember this story, right? In Exodus, God calls them out of captivity. He leads them. He literally walks them to the front of the sea. He splits the sea. He splits the sea. The people walk on two massive walls of water through the sea. They get to the other side. They praise God. They sing. They dance because you would too, right? Holy cow. I just saw a wall. I just walked through the wall. There were fishes in the water. I walked right past them. I got to the other side of the sea. And the chapter later, you flip the page and they're already complaining. They're already saying, God, where are you? Why have you brought us out to this wilderness? Why have you brought us out to this desert? They have spiritual amnesia. We forget people. It's easy for us to look at this and go, ah, it's not me. I don't do that. No, we do that. I do that. And I have to fight, and you have to fight. And the call today from God is to remember, to not just come today, to not just be here this morning, hear some loudmouth guy up on stage talk to you and say, remember, remember, remember. It's me telling you that one of the greatest weapons in your life, friends and family of God, is the art of remembering. It's power. It will fuel you forward. And I'm telling you today, if you, husband, sat down and led your wife to remember how he's taking care of your family. If you, friends and friends in this room, sat down and talked about how has God moved this past year. I had a, a friend challenge me on this years ago. He said I was a bit of a complainer. I kind of am sometimes. <laughs> Honestly, I'm a little cynical sometimes, and I, I shouldn't be. I'm just honest, being honest with you, but I am sometimes. I kind of look a lot of times at the crack, and I don't look at the light in the crack. And my friend said, man, have you, what, what has God done in your life this year? And he literally stopped and said, how, why is it so difficult for you to tell me how, what God has done? And his point was, man, sit down, write. And so ever since then, on January, the first week of January, sometime in the month of January, I try to sit down and I pull out my calendar. I pull out my phone, my photos. I pull up my Instagram page. I pull up everything I have. 
and I try to remember all the ways God has worked, the ways that he's provided, the way that he has come through for me. And my call to you today is one of your pastors here. His brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, will you please make this a priority? Will you see that you, your perspective will be altered? It will change completely if you fight to remember what God has done. David cried out to the Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Maybe the first step today is simply to remember, who are all those people? Who are all the ways that God has put in my path to bring me here so that I would know him today? Man power, power to fuel us forward. Maybe today somebody in here is wrestling and they feel broken down. They feel the weight of the world as 2017 comes to a close. And I want you to know today that God's word to you is that he wants to restore you. Amen? And he wants to restore you through remembering. We have weapons as the people of God and our weapons are our, our, our prayer, the word of God, and apart from that, I think our two greatest weapons are gratitude and remembrance. And so we have to fight. We have to fight apathy. Do you see your relationship with God as transactional? Do you see your relationship with God as what am I going to get in return? I'll tell you today. Are you more interested in being right with God? Being righteous, being okay with God, being in a right position standing? Or are you interested in what you're going to get from following him? Because God doesn't promise anything apart from your right position. He promises a lot of things, but he promises you right position with him. And that is enough. Jesus is enough for us. Amen? Amen? God didn't promise to give us all of these things. He actually says he will put us in difficulties, take us through trials, put us in a hard period to refine us because he's a father that loves you. And he does that. But he tells us, he tells us, that Jesus is enough, and he's enough for us today. David was this way, and I, uh, man, I don't, I don't know about you, but when you read the scriptures, uh, are you, like, ever comforted by the fact that the disciples were crazy fools, and David was, I mean, look, I don't, uh, you, I've heard this a thousand times, but your sin in comparison to the man David is nothing compared to what he's done. Uh, you're like, man, you don't know what I've done, and I'm sitting here telling you today, yeah, you're right, I don't know, but did you sleep with your friend's wife and then murder the husband? <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like, how are we even comparing? And this is a man that God says is after my heart. And David, in Psalm 73, says this. He says, truly, God is good to those who are pure in heart. But for me, my feet feel as if they've stumbled. My steps have slipped. Hear this. For I was envious of the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I became envious that's weirdly comforting to me because I will scroll through this thing sometimes. And I'm just being real with you. I'll scroll through this. Is it okay if I'm real with you all? <laughs> like, I, I just want to be honest with you. I will scroll through this in my Instagram feed sometimes and be like, what, why does that guy look like he has the best life ever? He's chasing after God. He's not chasing after God, and I am. And he has everything going right. He has everything perfect. He has everything that it looks like, to, to my eye, is going well. And we know that's not fully true. But come on, can we be real today? That's sort of how we think sometimes. And David said that. I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But he says this at the end of Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven, God, but you? I have nothing, and there's nothing I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart. You are my portion forever. 
And those who are far from you, they will perish. And you will destroy those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to hear and be near you, God. I have made you my refuge. You see, the people of God in Israel were, were accusing God that he didn't care about evil and wrongdoing. And that just is not the case. And as you read into it, God is going to respond right here as we're going to pick up in verse 16. He's going to respond. But I'll tell you, he doesn't respond the same way that he has been responding. He has been responding by answering them. And here he's going to give a story. Pick it up in verse 16. Here's his different response. It's in the form of a story. And he says this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord. And in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Let me just say that again. Did you miss that? Sometimes we can read the word and just miss it. Just see this. They shall be mine, says the Lord. In the day when I make up my treasured possession. He calls you believer in Christ. His treasured possession today. I will spare them as a man spares his son. And then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. You shall see but. Uh, between one who serves God and one who doesn't. He literally says, you will literally see the difference between those who have been serving God. That's what that word, th that phrase there, shall see the destruction. It literally is translated to, you will see with your eyes the difference of those who serve on this day and the, those who do not serve God, those who do not walk with God. But he says it's for those who fear the Lord. So what does it mean? If you read scripture, if you look through scripture, the fear of the Lord is pervasive all throughout. Does it mean we run, those who run away from God and, and fear, that they're scared of him? No, it actually, it's a different kind of fear. This fear here is more so, uh, it's pervasive. You'll see it all through, but it's more so a fear of awe, a fear of dignity, a fear of, like, respect, of something that's so grand. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? You sat in the Grand Canyon before. You stare out at the Grand Canyon. You see something so amazing, so big, so awe-inspiring, and you go, I just feel my position here. I feel how small I am in comparison to this. I could never have done this. This is this fear, this, this fear of understanding the glory and the majesty, the feeling, the, the weight of who God might be. And I think sometimes we quickly run away from this, like that God isn't fearful, that there isn't anything to be fearful of God. I think we run quickly and we, we go to the gospel that God is loving and he's, he's, he's caring and he wants to draw us in. Yes, my brothers and sisters, amen, he does want to do that. But he also... There's something terrifying about a created being. There's something awe-inspiring. There's something that makes me, if I was in the direct presence of God, I would tremble. Do you? Do you approach God with that reverence? Proverbs 28, 14 says this, Blessed is the one that fears the Lord, for he has not a hardened heart. Isaiah 66, 2 says this, The one whom I will look to is this. He is humble. He is contrite in spirit. And he trembles at our word. So there's a humility. There's a lowliness. There's a sensitivity of heart that God is calling us not to just be careless to his spirit. This is the opposite. Hear me on this. This is the opposite of someone who has a prideful swagger about himself. Someone who has a boasting feeling about himself that I did something. Hear me roar. I made way for myself. I, I did this. I, I, I remember this interview and I know we're in Austin, Texas, so, man, I don't, I don't know if anybody knows this guy in here, but uh, I used to be a huge Lance Armstrong fan. 
I was a massive Lance, Lance fan. Like, I, I, I was cycling when I was in middle school because I, like, loved this guy. And I remember watching this interview with Barbara Walters. And Barbara is tell, talking about his life, and he's talking about all these genetic uh, defects that were actually positives for him, that he had a bit better ability to have a lung capacity. Now, I know, please don't email me. I understand that there was a doping case. I understand. I get all that. But the man also was genetically a freak, okay? He was, he was gifted. He had an extra gifting, and he looked at Barbara Walters in the eye, and he said, I, this is me. This is who I am. I did this. I earned all those titles. And she goes, well, yeah, but you have a, a different body composition. And she, he goes, no, I did this. I worked hard. And there's this kind of this swagger, this boasting. And I'm telling you, sometimes I come across, and maybe you do too, I have been that person, again, just speaking for myself, that has been the believer, that has been sort of arrogant, swagger carry about myself that, man, look at me. I've got it figured out. I've got it all together. There should never be any swagger of that sort in the believer of God. Why? Why? Because you were dead and God made you alive. You were dead, the scriptures say. The gospel is not that God came to make bad people good. The gospel is he took you from your dead state and he gave you life. And he's the only one that can do it. That you could try to follow God and work your way to him and and earn his favor and get into a position where you are gaining, you feel like you're gaining his favor. You're doing what God wants you to do. But the gospel is not that. It's not that you cleaned yourself up. The gospel, the good news of God is that you were dead. And he made you alive. Scripture says even in the middle of your trespasses, when you continually, constantly are sinning and moving away from God, God is pursuing you and he's bringing you back to him. It's his righteousness that makes you whole. It's his doing that makes you clean. It's his done that puts you in the place of where you are in his eyes, that you are a child of God. It's him. It's him. It's him. Amen? So we, as the people of God, we are called to be meek. We are called to be humble. We're called to be loving. No one in here is above somebody else. No one here is better than somebody else. And God is calling us not to do that. In Ephesians 2, we'll put the scripture up here. This is what he says. This is what Paul's words say. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sin. And you lived when you used to live, when you followed his ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. All of us gratified the flesh and followed our own desires and all of our thoughts. Can we just all say it together today? All of us. Come on, people. Can we say that together today? Awesome. We're on the same page right now. I love it. All of us gratified our own desires, but like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, let me say it one more time, because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our sin. For it is by the grace of God that you have been saved through faith. Not from yourself. It is a gift from God. It is a gift so that no man can boast. Let us be people who have no swagger. I, I, I get it, man. Man, I get it. You want to have, you want to, I don't know how to say this, but... Uh, be confident. Be humbly confident. Walk in humility with your confidence. But understand that 
There is no position over somebody else. God has done everything in your life. He has given everything to you. He has provided the home you have, the breath you breathe, the clothes that are on your back, the position you're in. You are in the United States of America today, and I don't know what you believe politically, but I will tell you we are one of the most economically prosperous places in the entire world, and that is not a nationalistic call today. I'm just saying God has done a great thing for you today. He's blessed you, and everything you have is because of him. Amen? And so... We see this here. We see in uh, verse 18, it says, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not. Uh, I had a, a friend, uh, a pastor friend, when I became a pastor, he said, Man, when, when, you, when you become a pastor, sometimes it's easy for you to get away and, and start to think more highly of yourself than you really are. Sometimes you start to kind of have an academic understanding maybe of who God is, and you get more in your head than the heart and the hands, you know what I mean? That's who God is, by the way. He's a head, heart, and hands kind of God. He's all about what we learn should move this heart to move into our outworking of our hands. But he said to me, he said, man, once a year, you have got to open up the scriptures. And I would just challenge you, Nick, that you would open up the last three chapters of Job. (laughs) Anybody read Job before? (laughs) You have a guy, if there is anybody ever who needed to complain about the suffering in his life, it is this poor man of Job. And he starts to ask questions, he starts to accuse God of some things a little bit. And God answers him in three thunderous chapters and says to him, were you there when I poured the water into the sea? Were you there when I placed the stars in the sky? Were you there when I laid the grains of sand on the ground? Were you there when I thought of you, and he goes on and on to say how much greater and higher and more magnificent he is. My pastor friend's point was this. He said, man, you need to remember how small you are. You need to remember your place. And it's not that God is not, let me, let me be real clear today. Hear me. If you've checked out, check back in for a second. It is not that God is scared of your questions today. I pray that every person in this room who has a question today will seek God and ask those questions. God is not scared of your questions today. God is not too scared that you're going to have some sort of question that's not already been answered. But questions are cause us to seek him. Accusations cause us to run away from him. Amen? You see the difference? One of them drives us towards God. One of them drives us away from God. And what these people are doing is accusing God. John the Baptist. John the Baptist has some questions. His whole life he prepared the way for Jesus to come. And he stands in a jail cell at the end of his life before his head is about to be cut off by the king for proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And he asked his disciples, go to Jesus. Ask Jesus. Ask him today. Are you the one, the, 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 the Messiah that is to come, the one that I thought you were? Are you the one that we have been prophesied, prophesied about for years? And he, you see this hesitancy. You see this wondering in his heart. And I love our God. He's so good. Gosh, he responds so graciously. He doesn't accuse him. He doesn't tell him, man, you did this in public. Now, why don't you do this in private with me? Why don't you come talk to me in private? No. He publicly says, this is one of the greatest men who have ever walked the face of the earth. And he tells him, tell John that the lame walk, that the blind see 
that I'm healing the sick and I am he. I am the one who the prophecies have been about. I am the Messiah. God's not scared of your questions. I bet you didn't know this. I didn't know this until this past year. But in the great commissioning on the mount, Jesus is with his disciples. Are you with me here? He's with his disciples. And he is giving them their commission. Go, make disciples. And you know it says, look for yourself. This is not my word. It says, some worshiped him and some doubted. The men who would change the face of this earth on behalf of God. We have 2.2 billion Christians in the earth today. Started from the movement of 12 unlikely heroes. Because of that, some of them doubted. The word is disdain. It means they, they hesitated. They questioned. They wondered a little bit. They didn't understand what was happening. And so my, 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 my urging to you today is that I pray that your questions drive you to seek answers. And I pray that you would walk away from accusations instead and understand in fear and, and in the right trembling, the right perspective of who God is, all right? All right, we're going to keep moving forward here. We're going uh, to be in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. We'll keep walking forward. Uh, before we get there, I will say this one last thing. God says he will spare those. In, in verse 18, he says he will spare those who belong to him. And I think, uh, I will just say this uh, uh, easily. The words you're about to read in chapter 4, they were a little hard for me, honestly. I wrestled a little bit today with them because, honest, honestly, it's, it's some tough words that say um, that what God is going to do. We'll just read it here. Chapter 4, verse 1. Behold, the day is coming. It's burning like an oven when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. And that day is coming, and it shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, and so that it will leave neither root nor branch. I don't know if you read that, and you read it with indifference, or you don't care, or I don't know how you read that, but for me, I read that, and I think of the people in my life who don't know my Father, my God, and it breaks my heart. And it hurts me to think about this is difficult because I know people who are arrogant and I know people who have a higher elevated view of themselves and reject God. And, uh, and God is saying here today, I, I think he's showing us and telling us because as the people of God, he is wanting us to feel his heart. You'll see in the end of this, in the last verse of this whole book, God has a heart to spare his children. So what, let me ask you today, where's your heart? Where's your heart for the people Where's your heart for people who are arrogant, who are evildoers, who maybe look like they're prospering? Do you have a heart for them? Is there a compassion? God is calling us today to have compassion. And he gives four promises to us in Scripture. And this last chunk before we get into four, he says that God will hear those who fear him. He'll remember those who fear him. He will spare those who fear him. And he says he will make a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. So, believer, if you are a believer in Christ, where is your position towards these people? That's not me trying to guilt you today. That's not my job. I want the word of God. I think God honestly wants us to feel the weight of this today because we're, we're moving to two services here. And we're moving to a place where we are praying and hoping and believing that there are hundreds of churches in the city of Austin, Texas. Amen? Do you really want that? 
Do you really want there to be hundreds and hundreds of churches for a city that is lost and is hurting and is broken and maybe doesn't see and doesn't have the right perspective that you might have, believer? Because God is calling us forward to continue to move and create a space and to move and create an ability for people who don't know him to come and hear him. And let me tell you, it's not me that they're going to hear it from. It's you. It's us. It's we. We is greater than me. I'm just one guy, and my job, and Corey's job, and our elders' job, and our pastors, and if we have other pastors, our job is to equip the saints to do the work of the Lord. It's our job. And so maybe one of the questions today is, what do I feel when I think about these people? Do I have a um, sort of a a holy um, concern? And I'll, I'll be real with you. Like, there's times where I have apathy, and I wonder why I don't have that. And I'm on my knees, and I had to do that this week. I had to beg God and ask him, Lord, why do I not care? Why do I feel like there's times where I just don't care? And maybe you're not in the group of believers, and maybe God says, asking you, are you suspicious or doubting God? But here's what he says in verse 2, and there is hope. And let me tell you this. Malachi has been writing 450 years before Jesus will come, and he says this. Let's read it in verse 2. But for those who fear my name, gosh, this is so good. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down on the wicked and the ashes of their under, under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord. This verse is hope. This is the anticipation that I was talking about. We remember how God has worked, but we look forward to what God is going to do John the Baptist's father, and you can read this in Luke 178, he actually references this scripture. He says, because of the tender mercy of God, the sunrise shall visit us from on high. And he references this prophetic word from Malachi, that the son of righteousness shall rise. Well, who's the son of righteousness? Jesus, right? It's Jesus. And we see five images here, five images of what, who, of, of what God wants us to see on the day that is to come. We see a rising sun, beams of righteousness, wings of healing, and breaking out of a stall and leaping like calves. Where there wasn't light, where there was darkness, there will be a rising sun. Where things weren't right, they will be made right. Where there's brokenness and where there's hurting And where there is pain, there will be wings of healing. You who feel like you're in bondage today, hey, believer, I know you struggle. I know that some of us in here are in bondage today. And God says to you, there will be a day where no longer are you struggling anymore. You will leap like calves, like baby cattle, joyful, excited. There will be joy that will fill the earth. Here's what he says in Revelation 21. Then I saw the new heaven, and I saw the new earth. This is the prophecy from John about what is to come, the coming of Christ again. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. I saw new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and prepared for us a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. And hear this today. You're out there, and you're hurting today, and you're wondering where's God. 
anticipate this today. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death will be no more. There will no longer be mourning or crying or pain for the former things will pass away. And he who sat upon the throne said, behold, I, I, God, will make all things new. This is the great hope that we have to look forward to. And the reality is, this could have been better for us as a church because we're going to be walking over the next four weeks into the coming of Christ. We're going to be talking about the advent, the waiting period, the time of waiting. There was a period of time of waiting here. If, I don't know if you have a hard copy of, of text here, but um, in my Bible, when I look at this, there's a blank page here. You with me? Between Malachi, the closing of the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a, there's a blank page here. And that blank page represents about four, roughly 430 years. There was a waiting period of all of these prophecies. There were prophets of old. There were all these prophets. They were speaking of the coming Messiah. Prophecy, messianic prophecy after messianic prophecy. Hundreds and some hundreds and hundreds of years before the Christ child would be born. And they prophesied that he would come. And they spoke of him. This is all one story. And then there was a space. There's this blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's a period of silence. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. But maybe you've had a pastor that said to you, it's a period of silence where God goes completely silent. Well, yes, the prophetic words of God were silent. There was no more inspired writings, no more inspired words. But it was anything from silent. It was anything from silent. Because God was preparing for the arrival of his son, Jesus. Uh, if you read the book of Daniel, we're going to close out here, and the band can start coming up here. But if you read the book of Daniel, there's a prophecy of the kingdoms that will rise and fall. And in this 400-period time where the prophetic words of God cease to come out and cease to be spoken anymore, Kingdom after kingdom was rising and falling. The Babylonians would rise and they would fall to the Persians. The Persians would rise and they would fall to Alexander the Great, the Greeks. And the Greeks would rise and then Alexander the Great, he actually passes away and he divides his kingdom into fours. He gives them to his four generals and they each start to take land. And in order for Jerusalem, in order for the people of God to not be attacked by some of these armies from every side, they make an alliance with the Roman people. They make an alliance, and they say, will you protect us? And so Rome moves its way into the promised land, into Jerusalem, and sets up shop. And what you see is God is shifting and moving powers in place. Synagogues are popping all up over the world in this 400-year period. People are learning the Old Testament. These words are penetrating into the people of God across the earth, and God is setting the stage as Rome, a rising power in the West, begins to take its place, and the the, the rising power that had the first ever mass transit system, the Roman people, highways and streets of sorts were beginning to be built so that when the Christ child would come, he would be born under Roman rule, Roman authority, and the words of God would make its way to the ends of the earth. And here's what we see. Luke 2 will be up on the screen for you. Silence. 400 years, and we read this. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, 
And these shepherds were terrified, and the angel said, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news today. It will cause great joy for all people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Amen. I love the beauty of our God who decides to go to some weak, lowly, neglected shepherds. I don't have time to get into it today, but they were forgotten. These were people who didn't, weren't able to go to the temple and be cleansed and be made right with God, and God goes to them to tell them after 400 years of silence, today in the city of David, there's a Savior for you. And so as we close, as you see the very end of the book of Malachi, you will see in here that God summarizes almost everything for us and creates this hinge, this doorway of closing one area and opening the next. And he says this in verse four. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules I commanded. He says, remember the law, remember the Torah, remember everything that I wrote. Remember, remember, remember. But behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord will come. He says, remember what I've told you and anticipate what is to come. And he he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land. Why does it matter that God comes? Why does it matter that he will return? Because he's going to change the hearts of everybody who doesn't see him for who he is. And even today, he's offering you a chance. If you don't know him, he has the ability to change your heart. And this is the story of the Messiah. This is the story of Jesus. This is the story of the Old Testament. The Torah and the prophets always spoke to the coming of Jesus. And they speak even now of his second coming. All you have to do, it says in Romans 10, is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. This is the call today. And for those of us who know him, our call today to remember how God has worked in our life. Let it fuel us forward. And let us be a vocal piece, a voice piece, a megaphone to the world of God's great love that he wants to spare his people. He wants to change their hearts. And he wants to bring them in for the end and the coming of time. I'm excited for the next four weeks. I hope you are. We're gonna be walking through this coming, the second coming of Christ, and we're gonna see how God has worked and how he is working and how he's preparing the way even now for his second coming. Will you pray with me? God, we love you. We're grateful for you and we're grateful for this day. Lord, I'm thankful that for hundreds of years you have been speaking to your people. And hundreds of years before your son Jesus came, you've been speaking to us. And today I'm thankful that your word of Malachi doesn't close a story, but opens the doorway to the rest of the story. That even in Malachi, when you said that there's a coming, behold, I will send an Elijah, God, you were saying to us that there is a more to this story here, that it's not over yet. And so I pray today for any brothers and sisters in here today that are wondering if you see them, if you know them, I don't think it's a coincidence that they're here today. I think they're here today to hear that you want to draw them into your family, you want to save them. And only you can do that. And then I pray for the rest of us in here, God, that you would stir in our hearts this week a remembrance of just how good you are. God, restore to us the joy of our salvation. 
Help us remember and help us hope. Give us the hope we need to move forward, Lord. We love you, and it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.